Welcome to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit us at compasslu.org. Good morning. Happy Father's Day. Uh, for the fathers in the room, we're not doing a special Father's Day sermon. Uh, you know, six weeks ago or so, we did a special Mother's Day, and we, you know, all cried together as Amanda and Dottie shared their hearts and all that. We're not going to do that today uh, with Father's Day. We're actually going to ramp up the heat on our True Faith series. So we're going like the opposite direction. Um, so for the past two weeks, we've been looking at True Faith in Adversity. And Adam, two weeks ago, showed us a little bit about true faith and adversity with the examples of Jeremiah and Daniel. And last week, uh, we, we looked at Peter and Paul both in prison. And before we get into today's topic, I want to follow up on something last week. I just wanted to make sure that I was you know, very clear about, and we're going to continue to make that point today as well. And I made the point last week that God sometimes leads us into dark places to accomplish his will. When we, and I do really believe that God sent Paul and Silas on mission into prison. They received the beatings that they received and the horrible treatment that they received because God knew it would bring out the Philippian jailer and that whole household. Um, but I want to point out, and I, I did make this point briefly last week, but I really want to flesh this out a little bit more, that uh, many times when we face adversity, it is not God's plan. It is not because we're on mission. It's just because we're getting attacked. Um, and so uh, Peter, for example, last week we looked at Peter. I don't think Peter was in prison for any real reason other than he was being attacked. The church was being attacked. Um, so, you know, in our lives, the same is true. Sometimes, many times, I think, we're simply facing attacks. Um, and that, that happens. And sometimes I think God does lead us into darkness to rescue others. I think that's true, too. Uh, but either way, whether God sends us on a mission and he shows us that or whether we're just getting attacked, either way that this happens, uh, we see that God can bring good out of dark situations. Um, and I think when I think about that, uh, I think about Joseph. You know, Joseph was sold into slavery because he had jealous brothers. And many years later, when Joseph confronted his brothers, he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So God was able to took this evil done against Joseph and make it into good for Joseph, but for his family and for the world at large. And so God can do the same thing for us. So this morning, we're talking about even if you don't faith, even if you don't faith, we're going to unpack that a little bit uh, in a little bit. But I want to tell you first what I'm giving myself for Father's Day this year. I don't know if you fathers uh, get yourself something for Father's Day, but the thing that I'm getting for myself this year is transparency and honesty in front of all of you. Um, and I want to be transparent with you about this sermon, and maybe this comes as a surprise for you, but I don't have all the answers. <laughs> and today we're going to be asking one of the most difficult questions I think we can ask in our lives. Um, and I don't have a full answer to the question. I do have a, a way through it in a way that we can uh, gain faith through these kinds of difficult situations, but I don't have all the answers. So the question that we're going to ask today is, what if God doesn't come through the way that I think he should come through in whatever situation we're dealing with? Uh, so how can we build our faith, our trust in God to the point to where we can weather the disappointments in life? All of us have faced disappointments in life. All of us have lost people close to us. Uh, for whatever reason, 
you know, the good guys don't win every battle. Um, they don't win every battle in the Bible, and they don't, we don't win every battle in life. So how do we deal with that? That's basically what we're going to be meditating on this morning. Uh, you can turn with me to James chapter 1 if you have your Bibles. Um, when I think about this question, I want to start with a little bit of framework here. And one of the pieces of framework that I, I do want to point out is God's will is not done on earth as it is in heaven right now. You know, Jesus, our Lord, taught us to pray for our Father's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven because it's not being done that way right now. So, you know, we do get attacked. We do stumble. We do uh, lose people close to us. Uh, I was telling Paul this morning, I, I was reminded when I was putting this together of the song by Phil Wickham, and I like Phil Wickham, and I like the song called Battle Belongs, but there's a lyric in it that says, that you win every battle. That's what Phil Wickham says, you win every battle. And every time I hear that line, I'm like, Phil, I'd like to have a conversation with you about that. <laughs> uh, Israel lost battles. Just read the Old Testament. Uh, they were slaves in Egypt. They were later exiled in Babylon and Persia. Uh, the early church, we read the record in Acts 12 last week, literally it starts with them losing a battle. James gets beheaded by Herod. That's how the record starts. They start with the lost battle, then they win the battle in the rest of Acts 12. What about Acts 7 where Stephen gets stoned? Lost a battle there. So as we think through this difficult question this morning, I do want to offer real hope and real encouragement, even if I can't offer perfect understanding. So when we think about this, we can think about the fact that we, we do not win every battle, but God has won the war. God has won the war through Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. We will ultimately overcome the devil. And in each battle, God is right there beside us. He was with the Israelites in Egypt. He was with the Israelites in captivity. He was with David in his darkest moments. He will be with us. So when we consider this question, even if you don't, considering what happens if God doesn't show up the way that I want him to, some of you might be wondering, does even asking this question make me a double-minded person? So that's where we're going to start. We're going to start in James chapter 1. We don't want to be double-minded. And I want to unpack this a little bit for us. James chapter 1, we'll read in verse 5. It says, If any of you lack, lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of a sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So when I think about this section, I think about, you know, can I not ask this question? Can I not doubt at all? I mean, we think about Abraham. We talked about Abraham a few weeks ago. Did Abraham doubt? Yeah, he did. He considered the fact that he was an old guy and that Sarah had never been able to have children. He considered those things. And I want to point out that we live in the modern Western world. And in the modern Western world, when we look at the Bible, we look at uh, these types of things, we think about the world of ideas. We live up here. But the ancient Eastern world was a doing culture. They were thinking about actions. So the double-minded person is not necessarily the person who never has any doubts, but rather the person divided in their service of God. And I found this interesting quote from the New American Commentary entry on this verse. Uh, it says, here we find the famous reference to the double-minded man. The way of true faith, 
I think we've heard that term before here in the series. <laughs> the way of true faith in God is with the whole heart, soul, mind, and soul. To pursue both the evil way and the good way is to divide oneself and to corrupt all the good. The result is a divided loyalty to God that can proclaim faith only superficially. The doubting believer is always in two minds and therefore always hypocritical. Paul's reference to carnal and spiritual minds reflects the same concern. Such a double-minded man attempts to live with a contradictory blend of desires from two worlds, pleasure and virtue, but he cannot serve both God and self, the spirit and the flesh, the law of life and the law of death, the wisdom from above and the wisdom from below. So the point here is not that we can never doubt or ever question or ever deal with things in our mind, but at the end of the day, when all is said and done, we bring our minds and our, specifically our actions back to walking in fellowship with God. So in other words, we are to convince ourselves about our God, about his goodness, and about the ultimate plan that he has for us in the kingdom. We are not to doubt about those things. And so in response to those truths, we order our lives around God. But that also means trusting God when the answer is no, or the answer is not yet. And this also means that we should not be afraid to say things like, God willing, in certain contexts. I'm not saying in every context. Because in some contexts, we know what God's will is. But we can say God willing in certain contexts. And in fact, James, the guy who warns us about being double-minded, talks about this in James chapter 4, if you'll turn with me there. In James chapter 4, talking about the needs financially, you know, making money and living in the world and having financial needs, he says to the people who had businesses, Verse 13, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So we have to read James 1 in light of James 4. We have to read them together. We can't, we can't split them apart and act like they both don't exist in the same book. So the point I'm trying to make is we should ask God for deliverance. We should ask God for wisdom. We should ask God for help, for support, for healing. He's the only one who can help us in the midst of all of this. But what we can't do is we can't insert our own plan for success and palm it off on God and say, this is how you're going to do it, God. This is how you're going to fix it. We subject ourselves to God. Now, again, sometimes the will of God is clear even when it doesn't happen on this earth. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 3. Our main example this morning of even if you don't faith comes from three young men from Judah who were taken into a foreign land, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And just to give a little bit of a run-up to where we are, uh, one of the key things we've seen over time in this series is that faith is something that grows over time. We build our relationship of trust in God over time. And in Daniel 1, we find four young men taken from their homes uh, in the promised land, and they are relocated, they're renamed, they're asked to assimilate into a pagan culture. The city of Jerusalem is besieged, the temple is in ruins, and they're taken hundreds of miles from their home to an idol-worshipping foreign land. They have to learn a new language, they have to learn new customs, um, and they respond to this, in all of this, you know, you could think, you know, they should just assimilate and get it over with, right? But no, they ask, to, uh, they ask their captors if they can uh, drink water instead of wine offered to idols and, and eat vegetables instead of eating meat offered to idols. 
And uh, as Adam pointed out a couple weeks ago, it's not clear that God ever gave them instruction to do this. They just were following what they knew of God's law. Um, and, you know, this is, I think, a relatively low-risk uh, situation because, you know, it's like worst-case scenario, they look a little bit thinner than the other guys, and they have to go back to the meat and wine diet. But what happens is God comes through, and they're physically uh, better-looking. They're healthier than everyone else. Uh, they're in better shape than all the other youths. And then later in Daniel 1, after another period of time happens, uh, they get presented to Nebuchadnezzar the king, and he finds them ten times better than all the other young men. Uh, so that's really great. So they, they have the situation where they can build trust in God, build faith in God in a relatively low-risk situation. Well, the temperature gets turned up on them in chapter 2 because the king asks his magicians to interpret a dream. Uh, you know, that's fairly common in the ancient world. Uh, what was uncommon is he told them, I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. <laughs> so I want you to interpret a dream, but I also want you to tell me back what my dream is. And so what did Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do? They pray to God, and God gives Daniel the dream and the interpretation. And so the result is that the king sees the power of God uh, and ends up worshiping Yahweh. And all four men end up getting promoted. So there, their lives were at risk. You know, Nebuchadnezzar was going to kill all the magicians if they couldn't figure out his dream and then also the interpretation. It's pretty wild. Uh, but here in chapter 3, uh, Nebuchadnezzar hasn't learned his lesson about Yahweh. You know, he's like, he worships God, but then he goes back to his normal stuff. And he set up a huge uh, statue of an idol, and he's asked everyone to bow down when certain music plays. And for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is idolatry. They, can't, they cannot go there. They they're going to refuse to bow. But the penalty is to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And the fiery furnace is certain death. I mean, that's the penalty, certain death. So we're going to pick it up in the middle of the record a little bit. They've already played the music, and they did not bow. And then they're going to get accused here in verse 8. Uh, Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. I think it's interesting that the word maliciously accused gets used because actually what they say is true. <laughs> they, they say what actually happened. Uh, but it is sort of malicious to you know, try to get these guys killed, I guess. Uh, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Now, I want to point out that on the Nebuchadnezzar scale of uh, morality, this is actually a pretty reasonable conversation. <laughs> I mean, he's the kind of guy who would kill all of his magicians because they couldn't tell him his dream and also interpret it. And so here in this situation... 
uh, you know, he's like, I'm, you know, he, he's, he is unreasonable for killing people for not worshiping his idol. But, but here he's like, well, maybe these guys didn't get it the first time. Like, you know, they're from a foreign land. They don't really know the language that great. Like, let's give them a second chance here to figure this out. Uh, so I think this is, you know, this is sort of reasonable on his scale, right? And what do the three men do? Um, and before we read their response, I want to point out that Nebuchadnezzar has essentially asked two questions. The two questions are, are you going to bow, yes or no? And if you don't bow, who's going to rescue you? What is, who's this God that's going to rescue you? And so we're going to see how they respond here in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. So they first answered the second question, the last question, who will rescue you if you don't bow? And they say, you already know the God we worship. Remember this God? This was the God who revealed your dream to you and the interpretation. That's the God we serve. You've already been introduced to him, and he is able to save us. The first part of verse 17, where it says, if this be so, is a reference to being put in the fiery furnace. If you are going to take this extreme length and put us into the fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from that. That's how they express it. They express confidence in God's ability to save them. So they're absolutely clear. God has the ability to save them. But now let's look at what they say in verse 18. But if not... But if not, they acknowledge that maybe God isn't going to show up in this moment the way that they hope that he will. But if not, they ask this question, what happens? What happens? And they are letting the king know, be it known unto you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Whoa there, guys, where's your faith? (laughs) What kind of faith is that? (laughs) Seems double-minded, doesn't it? Oh, he's able to do it, but if not, right? Oh, he's able to do it, but if not. Let's unpack this. This is what I'm talking about, this even if you don't kind of faith. They're saying at the end of the day that they would rather die than be idolaters. At the end of the day, they trust in God. Their confidence is so big in God that even if they die young in this life, that they have confidence that God will set it right in the next life that they'll experience God's kingdom for all eternity. So these young men have figured life out. There's nothing, this king is going to get really angry because this is the only lever he can pull. He can only, you know, he can only attack their physical life. He can't take away their relationship with God and how that goes into eternity. That's the lesson we've got to learn here from them. They're living with eternal perspective. Verse 19 Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, I'm sure he was upset. That's literally the last thing he can do, and they're not backing down. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. So I want to pause here. You know, it might, you might think it weird that he mentions all these different clothes. It's like, you know, he's wearing, uh, you know, uh, Shadrach was wearing Michael Kors and, you know, uh, Meshach was wearing, you know, Prada or whatever. You know, it's like, that's not the point. The point's not. The point is that they're wearing all these clothes. And we're going to get to why that's important here in a second. 
Verse 22, because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So Nebuchadnezzar in his anger lost some of his mightiest men because of his anger. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. So they're bound. Then Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. So God sent an angel to deliver them. Verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of these men. The hair on their heads, the hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. See, that's part of the miracle here is it's not just that they weren't burned up, it's that they didn't even smell like fire. And if you've been around a campfire before, that's I mean that's miraculous. I stand ten feet away from a campfire for thirty minutes and my clothes smell like fire the next day, you know. They didn't even smell like fire. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. This guy is an extreme guy. Uh, And their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So in reading all of this, what we see is these young men esteemed the value of obeying God and the promises of God in eternity higher than this pressure from the king. The pressures, the pleasures of the world, whatever could be offered to them. These men were beyond being offered anything besides what God wanted to offer them. They were fine with burning in this life if it meant not burning in the fires of judgment. And this is exactly what the book of Hebrews says about Moses. It says, Moses viewed the eternal promises of God as more important than the temporary pleasures of living in Pharaoh's house. And this is a great lesson for us to do the same. Trusting in God through life's most difficult uh, circumstances requires this even-if-you-don't kind of faith. We have to esteem the eternal promises of God as bigger than whatever challenge that we're facing, even if that challenge is death, because we can have complete trust in God that he will raise us up in the last day and that we will experience eternal life in the kingdom of God. And I believe that Jesus learned from this. Let's turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. In the most pivotal, uh, excruciating moment in Jesus' life, he's looking at the possibility of an agonizing uh, torture, period of torture, and then death. Um, And he reaches out to his father and his God, and he asks God, his father, to remove the cup from him. And God says no. In Luke 22, verse 39, it says, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Instead of removing the cup, what God did is he sent an angel to strengthen Jesus. Jesus knew that he had to complete this mission no matter how difficult it would be. And Jesus did that. Jesus had, even if you don't, kind of faith. And in Hebrews 12, it says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. That's what allowed him to endure these things because he saw the eternal importance of his mission. He saw that God's eternal plan was bigger than the moment that he was dealing with, bigger than the temptations of this life. And Jesus, by the end of his life, when he's hanging on the cross, even had the strength to say, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. When Stephen stoned in Acts 7, he says almost the exact same words. Paul learned this too. He asked the Lord three times to remove the thorn in the flesh, and every single time got the answer, no. Stephen and Paul also exemplified this, even if you don't, kind of faith. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians. This is where we'll close today. So how do, how do we think about this? How do we build this level of trust in God? The whole theme of Hebrews chapter 11 is of people seeing this eternal plan of God, the kingdom of God, as so important, as so pivotal, that it vastly outweighs the temporal life that we live, the the things that get presented to us in this world around us as being important when they're really not. The only thing that's important, the most important thing in our lives is the relationship that we have with God, with the Lord Jesus, and with one another. And that goes from now into eternity. It never stops. And so when we face difficult situations in life, I'm not here to minimize those things. We all face difficult situations in life. We all walk through difficult seasons. The question is, how do we still keep our faith through those challenges, through those difficulties? And I think of these words in in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And the context here in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 1, Paul talks about being in such a difficult circumstance that they despaired of their lives. God rescued them from death. And in chapter 11, he's going to talk about all the different things he went through, how many times he was shipwrecked and beaten and imprisoned and all these different things. In the context of this book where he unpacks all that, he says, verse 16, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, this is the man who was shipwrecked, this is the man who was beaten with rods, this is the man who was stoned. He had all these things happen to him, and he calls that a light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And this is the key. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is how Paul could do it. Paul could weather all these disappointments in life. He could ask this difficult question, what, where is God going to show up? When is God going to show up? What if it doesn't look the way that I want it to? He could ask these questions because he knew that eternity meant more. It, it's always going to outweigh what, what we face in this life. It's beyond all comparison, as he says in verse 17. 
so when we think about that this morning, we may never face what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego face. I mean, they were facing physical death right there. Uh, or what Paul faced, you know, he was, you know, faced as much opposition as any minister of Christ probably has ever faced uh, up to death. But we do face disappointment. We do face affliction. We do face persecution. We do deal with abandonment. Uh, we deal with all sorts of different issues in our lives. We have all lost battles in this life, and we will probably lose more battles in this life. So what is the key to this even-if-you-don't kind of faith? The key is that we have to see past the facade of this life and all the things that the devil tries to present to us as being important when they're really not important. They're not. We see past the facade of this life to the grand vision of the future that God has for us. We can anchor ourselves in that hope, in the fact that God will make everything wrong with the world right again in the kingdom of God. So I know a little bit more heady <laughs> than your typical Father's Day sermon, but that's where we are today in our series on faith. And so my exhortation is, you know, we, we all go through difficult times, and we can be together and encourage one another when we go through these difficult times, when we deal with the challenges that we face in life. Um, and, and keep reminding each other of if we've lost people, that we will see them again in the kingdom of God. If people are struggling with an illness or something that's not getting resolved, that no matter what, that whether God acts the way that we think he should in this life or not, or whatever whatever's barriers are being presented to that being resolved, that it will be resolved in the kingdom of God. That whatever emotional distress or tribulation that we go through, whether it's fits in short bursts of it, or whether it's an extended period of time, that there is no more pain and suffering, no more tears in the kingdom of God. That's how we persevere. We persevere keeping anchored to that hope. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your son and for what it looks like for you to be our father. We're thankful for the examples that you've given us in, in your Bible of men and women who persevered in extremely extraordinary and difficult circumstances. We're thankful that you're a father that allows us to question, allows us to uh, doubt, allows us to think and choose you on our own. And Father, we just ask for your help in choosing you, in dedicating ourselves to you, in reinvigorating ourselves when the times are hard. Father, we're thankful for the voice that we hear that comforts us in these moments. For you are, as Paul said, the God of all comfort that comforts us in all tribulation. So, Father, today we're especially prayerful and, and ask you for provision for those who are having a difficult day today, Father's Day, uh, those who are estranged from their children or those who are estranged from their fathers or those who have lost their fathers recently or lost their fathers a long time ago and it still hurts God because that's the way life is. So, Father, we just... So thankful that you walk hand in hand with us every step of the way and that you have won the war. We can anchor ourselves to that fact, God. In the name of your Son and our Lord, Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information on how we are striving to follow Jesus together here in Louisville, Kentucky, check out our website, compasslu.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and view additional resources.